Praise the Lord. Our verse 1, he, uh, James says this. He says, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and, ha and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the, the just, and he doth not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he receiveth the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise them up and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three and a half or three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruits. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which convert the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord God, for your word today. Give you all glory and honor and praise. I ask you to inspire us to preach it, to hear it, and to receive it, and the strength to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Sometimes in the book of James, James is, uh, is at times difficult to listen to because he brings messages of judgment and correction 
to the body of Christ. He comes as a prophet to the body of Christ. What I think is interesting about the book of James that he will, in a sense, shift. He'll go from being a sage, which means somebody that is declaring true wisdom, the true wisdom of God, and then he'll shift into a prophetic mode, which is a, a mode of preaching that brings judgment, and then he'll shift into a pastoral mode, uh, which is more of a, an encouraging type of ministry. So he has all of these things working in him as a servant of the Lord, a sage for wisdom, a prophet for judgment, and a pastor for, a pastor for encouragement. It's interesting. Chapter 5, verse 1, he's still in this prophet mode. He is speaking uh, judgment. And he's talking about here uh, the godless rich. Say the godless rich. Now, when I say the godless rich, uh, I don't want us to think that what we're going to read and teach today is not for us. But particularly, this is dealing with the unbelieving rich person who's whole life is about materialism. He doesn't have time for God in his life or the person, maybe a woman, doesn't have time for God. They are people who worship the idols of this world. God is not God in their life. For this individual that James is talking about, it's all about money. It's all about materialism. It's all about the world. Uh, so it's an idol. And so he is speaking about a time of judgment that's going to come upon these rich people. And so in verse 1 he says, come come to now. That means come here. You know, he's saying, listen, you need to wake up and you need to listen. Because the judgments of God are going to come upon this material world. And if you have lived your life only for the dollar, if God has, does not have time, or you don't have time for God in your life, and uh, your whole life is just given to making money. You don't worship God. You don't attend the house of God. You don't go to church. You don't live for the Lord. Uh, James comes as a prophet to you. And he says the judgments of God are going to come upon you. And all of your investments that you have made, the gold, the clothing that you have, all those things are going to rot. They're going to be destroyed. And consumed, and God said, You're going to be judged because you did not have time for God in your life. Now, a lot of people today, they focus on the material things of this world. And it is important for us, and I believe that God will bless you. Amen. I don't believe that God wants you to be poor. There's nothing really about, you know, being godly about being poor, you know. If you're poor, don't make you more godly. But what he's saying is, if you don't have time for God in your life, and materialism is what you're living for, then you have an idol in your life. And God is going to judge that. And He's going to judge that severely. And uh, I'm sure that you know people, they don't have time for God. They don't go to church. Amen. And it's a very serious thing in the eyes of God. So we see this man coming as a prophet. And he talks about these uh, rich men. He says, he tells them to weep and howl. Why? Because of the miseries that are going to come upon you. There's judgment coming, he says. So weep and howl. Your riches, he says, are corrupted. Even though it hasn't happened yet in ultimate sense, the judgment hasn't come in an ultimate sense. 
James says they are corrupted. God says through James that it's just as good as if it has already happened. You may not be seeing it right now. You may not be seeing the judgments of God upon this material world. But he said it is as good as if it's already happened. Amen. So this is teaching us not to set up idols in our hearts. Idols of this world. Idols of materialism. It teaches us the importance of traveling light. Amen. Do you understand what I just said? As a Christian, travel light in this world. Because the more material things sometimes that we get, you know, we get loaded down. We're overwhelmed. Debt piles up. You know what I'm saying? Pretty soon you're in a mess. Because you've got so much debt and so much thing. You're, you're hoarding wealth. You're hoarding it. You're accumulating it. You're hoarding it. It's all right to save. It's wise to save. But it's not wise to hoard. Well, all you think about is material things, okay? And so you create a lot of debt. And you get overwhelmed with the debt. So then what do you do? Well, you have to work more. Therefore, you don't have time for God. And God is not, God. listen, you can't do that. God has to be God in your life. This world can't be God. Amen. And if you're, you're the kind of person that you miss church all the time. Now, I can understand sometimes responsibility. But if you miss church all the time because of a job, you need to check your priorities. Amen. Because it is not God's will for you to have, a, have the world as your God. And so that's what he's talking about. He said, so we have these people. They are so focused on materialism and uh, the wealth of this world, amen, uh, that God says judgment's coming. And it's going to be a surprise. You got these people that are in the world, man. They're ungodly. They're corrupt. You know, they're, they're all about power, political power. And to have political power, they got corruption. And it's about money. Follow the dollar. Like they say, follow the dollar. Amen. So a lot of the problems of, of, of that we have in the world today, corruption that we have in the world today, is all rooted in money. Now, there's nothing wrong with money, but the love of money, the love of money is the root of all evil. Je Jesus said this, and I think this is interesting because James was his brother. Now, Jesus talked about it. He said, a mammon. He talked about mammon. Jesus said, he, Jesus said, you cannot worship God and mammon at the same time. You can't serve God and mammon at the same time. And the scripture, obviously, you know, it talks about mammon. What is mammon? Well, we define that as money, correct? But mammon was an actual demonic spirit. So God says you cannot serve. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon which we understand to be money, but there's a spirit behind that system. There's a spirit called mammon, literal spirit called mammon, that drives that system. Okay? Now you look at that beast there in the book of Revelation. I won't pull the chart out. But Revelation 17 and 18. The Bible talks about the judgments of God coming upon economic Babylon in Revelation chapter 18. It's going to happen. You cannot serve God and serve mammon. You're going to have to choose between God and mammon. You can't serve them both. So uh, God is not against you having money. 
but he's against you worshiping it and you making it the number one thing in your life and the number one goal in your life and you don't have time for God. Amen. There's a spirit that drives that. And it'll get a hold of you and it'll bring depression, all kinds of problems in your life. You wonder what's going on. You're serving the wrong God. Amen. You know, um, you'll have a tendency to be stingy with your money. You know, praise God. And it'll create a mentality in you that you won't want. So this is what James is talking about. The judgments of God are coming. So he's not preaching against money per se, but he said the love of money. That's the root of all evil. Hallelujah. Where's your heart today? Where's your heart today? What if God came to you and required that job? Would you give it up? What if God required a, a certain pursuit in life? said, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do something else. Would you be willing to do that? Amen. Would you put that on an altar to God? So what's important? Where's the priorities today? Are we serving God or are we serving the material world? We have to travel light in this world. And then I think we can all travel a little lighter, to be honest with you, especially in America. America, I think, really has a problem. And it's that we've got too much. Right? So he's telling us there's judgment coming. He's coming upon mammon. So he says, howl and weep for your misery shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. It's as if it's already happened. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be witness against you. Interesting, gold normally doesn't rust. But he's talking about that there is a time when even gold is going to lose its luster. Amen? So you're putting your confidence in gold and those kinds of things. He said they are going to canker and rust. Uh, shall be a witness against you. You sh uh, shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped the treasures together for the last what? Last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which as you kept back by fraud, crieth and the crieth of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabio. So what we see about the, these godless rich, they don't pay their laborers. Amen? Now this is important for you to understand. In that day, they were called day laborers. And so after they did their work for the day, they were supposed to be paid. Because every day depended on uh, getting paid. Right? You couldn't eat if you didn't get paid that day. So they were called day laborers. Now, it's set up a little bit different now. You work a week or two or whatever, and they pay you for the week or the you know two weeks or a month, whatever. But in that day, you had to get your pay daily if you were going to eat that night. So some of these uh, godless rich people were withholding their uh, the money, the pay, the rightful pay to the laborers, the day laborers, and they couldn't eat at night. And so the day laborers would go, go to God. These were believers. They would go to God. They would cry out to the Lord of Sabio, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, and say, uh, cry out to God, God, this rich man defrauded me of my money. He didn't pay me my wages. So, you know, that man couldn't eat. He couldn't eat. He couldn't supply food for his family that night to eat. And the Bible says God hears the prayers of those day laborers that were cheated out of their wages. 
Amen. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. Are y'all with me today? All right. So just like in the Old Testament prophets, when they stood up and they condemned Israel for some of these same things, the godless rich withholding proper pay to their laborers, James is like a prophet. And he's declaring the judgments of God upon this economic system, this world system that deals with money where people have left God out. All right? Now, the good thing for us is that God has an economy, economy for you and I. And if we follow that economy, you're wise. See? One of the great tests of your life, who your God is, what altar you're bowing at, is it mammon or is it God? The great test is this. Can you bring your tithe and offering to God? If you don't bring your tithe and offering to God, you worship the God called mammon. So there is a safety for us as believers because we worship God, we serve God, and we follow His economy, and we trust God to provide, we trust God to bless our lives, so we bring our tithes and offerings, and when you bring your tithe, the Bible says God counts it as the whole. Amen? When you bring your tithe and offering to God, you bring that 10% to God, He counts it as the whole. He doesn't count it as 10%. He counts it as 100%. Like you gave him everything. Right? So God has a uh, his economy in place that protects us against this, this spirit of greed, this worshiping the idol of materialism in this world, is to worship God and to bring our tithes and our offerings. And we're saying to God, Lord, we believe your covenant. We believe you're our provider, not this world. We're not worshiping the God mammon. We're going to present, we're going to make our money bow. And we bring it to God. And we make our money, we make mammon bow to God Almighty. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, you, you can't beat that investment. You get to do that. It's not you have to. You get to do that. You're investing in the kingdom of God, some eternal you can bring the blessings of God upon your life instead of a curse. But see, what we have here is people, they've left God out. they brought a curse on their life. Judgment's coming on them. They're not paying their, their laborers right. God says judgment's coming. So this man is coming as a prophet of the Lord. Hallelujah. Like I say, sometimes things, James, that says here, they're hard. They're hard to listen to. But we need to hear them. Now, he goes on in relationship to this. He tells the believers to be patient. Uh, but let me read verse 5. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren. Now, notice what he does. Okay, See, he used this phrase, come to now. He used it before when he was bringing uh, judgment in a previous situation concerning businessmen in the previous chapter. They were talking about, we're going to go to this city, we're going to stay a year, and we're going to get gain. And they never sought God. They never said, God, what is your will? They just made their plans. God wasn't in their plans. And the plans were, their diary was, we're going to go to this city, we're going to go there for a year, and we're going to get gain. And God wasn't in the plans. And so, James brought a message of judgment against that. Now he's talking about talking to the godless rich. Again, a judgment that's coming on them. 
But now he shifts and he starts instead of speaking as a prophet, he speaks as a pastor. Okay? He's going to use terms that are more gentle, if you will, uh, to the church. So he uses this term, notice, be patient, therefore what? Brethren. Different tone, different tone, see? Now, the book of James uses this over and over and over and over and over. He uses it more than any of the other epistles in the Bible. Brethren, or my brethren. Sometimes real, real a term of endearment, my brethren. So he's shifting now as a prophet, shifting out of that role of a prophet that's speaking of judgment and condemnation that's coming upon the godless rich. Now he's shifting into a pastoral role and he's speaking to them in terms of endearment. Brethren. Brothers. Okay? He says, be patient. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto what? The coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. See, don't, don't set up idols of this world in your heart. Don't set up the, uh, the idols of mammon in your life. You trust God. You be patient. You wait. You focus on God. You focus on His coming. You focus. First seek you the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you, is what he, Jesus said that. So he's shifting the focus from the world being your God, the world being your supplier, and being a godless rich person to a person who is focusing on the Lord. God is in their life. And the importance of being patient. Say patient. What are we being patient for? The coming of the Lord. How many of y'all believe the Lord is going to come back soon? He's going to come back soon. So we have to be patient, right? Now, you're going to see this word patient over and over and over as I, as I read these verses to you. The word patience. Now, the first time you see these words patience, it's a word that it means to be long-suffering. It means to, to uh, be a person who is not angry about things. Okay, So, long-suffering, or you're patient when things hardship comes in your life. Instead of getting angry and all being out of shape and overwhelmed about it, you're long-suffering. Okay? Amen. That's what he's using here, the word patience. So he says to us as a body of believers, there's going to be times that are going to come in your life and they're going to be hard. They're going to be hard. And when, and when they come and they're hard, he says what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to be long-suffering. Uh, Say long-suffering. Amen. So a Christian has to be patient. I have to be patient instead of just losing my cool, being overwhelmed, you know. I have to be long-suffering when I'm going through things. Amen. Um, hallelujah. Thank God for His Word today. So He says to us that we have to be patient. What for? We're waiting for the coming of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, there are going to be times in your life when you're going to go through some very hard times, very difficult times, and you're going to have to be Patient. You're going to have to be long-suffering. 
You're going to have to keep it under control. So you don't get angry and upset. You know, praise the Lord. Amen. Say, are you with me here today? Okay. And, and we'll, let's just keep reading this. So we're waiting for the coming of the Lord and we're waiting with patience, right? James is the master preacher, the master pastor, because he supplies illustrations for us. And he says to the church, he says, you're going to have to be patient. Patient, waiting on the coming of the Lord. You've got to be like a farmer. A farmer has to be patient. Amen. You know, a farmer goes out and he sows seed in the field. Right? Well, he's got to be patient. because, he, Well, first of all, he's got to till the ground, right? And after he tills the ground, then he sows the seed. And then he waters the seed. And he fertilizes the seed. Or he, or he waits for the rain, I should say, to come. The early rain and the latter rain to come. And patiently, he waits. Now, do you think that that farmer, when he goes out and he throws that seed in the ground, that the next morning he gets up and it's all grown? How many of y'all ever thrown out any seed and the next morning it was grown? No, it doesn't happen that way. All right? So when it, when it comes to God and the kingdom of God and the coming of the Lord, you're going to have to be patient. And there's going to be times things in your life are going to come and it's going to be hard and you're going to have to suffer through them and you're going to just have to wait for the Lord to come. Now, I believe this is talking about His physical, literal second coming, but it also is talking about when He comes to you. You've got to wait. You've got to be willing to wait and to be patient like the farmer. Tills the ground, sows the seed, waits for the latter rain, the former rain, the latter rain to come, and water that seed, and then all of a sudden he's going to have a harvest, correct? Same thing with living for the Lord. You and I cannot be the kind of people that we got to have it our way and got to have it our way now. You know, we, we can't be the kind of people that don't like going through anything. There's some people that don't like going through anything. They don't like to suffer at all, man. You know, and I get that because human beings, most of us, if you're a human being, you run from suffering. Amen? How many of y'all want to suffer? I don't want to suffer. But life brings it, doesn't it? Life brings hardship. And you wonder, where are you, Lord? Why didn't you come? Why didn't you help me? And the Lord says, He's coming. He's coming. He's literally coming in the future, but He will come in your life. But you've got to be patient. You have to be long-suffering. Amen? You can't get into a place in your life, well, I did, I'm done. And get all frustrated and all mad and angry, you know. Well, God let me down. No, when it comes to God, you're going to have to learn to be like the farmer, and that's to be patient. Wait on God. I've sowed some seed in my life. Amen? And I have to wait for that seed to come up. You know, whether it be money or it be love or help or mercy or grace or whatever it is, I've sown some of that in my life. Amen. But I don't see it coming back to me. God says you're going to have to be like a farmer. You're going to have to wait for that harvest to come up. When you sow it, it doesn't come up overnight. There's a season for it. And so let me read you the verses so you'll see what I'm talking about. You have patience this morning? How many of y'all have patience? You're long-suffering. Well, not many of you have patience. 
right? Jesus said this, in your patience, possess you your souls. You and I, if you're going to make it in the kingdom of God, that's the one thing that you're going to have to have. And that is long-suffering. Because this is a long race. It's a long race. Hallelujah. Amen. There's a lot of people, they start, they do pretty good for maybe a few years, five years, ten years, maybe fifteen years, but this is a lifetime commitment, man. Amen. So if you get in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to be patient because there's going to be things that come in your life and it's going to be hard. But we're like the farmer. We're going to keep sowing seed. We're going to trust God to water that seed and to bring a harvest in our life. Be long-suffering. Hallelujah. Or look at your neighbor and say, be long-tempered. There's a lot of people, they don't have, they're not long-tempered. They're what? They're short-tempered. I mean, real short fuse. Man, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If you're patient, then you are long-tempered. All right? And that's what God calls you to be. Long-suffering, long-tempered. Not quick to be angry when things are not going your way or when you're going through a time of suffering in your life. I'm just going to be patient. I'm going to trust God. And God is going to help me. He's going to come. Hallelujah. Now notice what he says. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband, that's the farmer, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long, what? Long, there it is again, the word again, long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Hallelujah. Say early and latter rain. Now, in Israel, there's only two seasons in Israel. Okay? In, in West Texas, we have uh, spring. We have summer. Right? We have winter. We have fall. We got four. But in Israel, they don't have four seasons. They have two. Okay? They have the rainy season and the dry season. About six months of the year, it's a dry season. No rain. Okay. And then six months of the year is the rainy season. And the rainy season starts in the early, early rain, starts in autumn. And the latter rain is at the end of spring. Okay, so autumn and spring. About six months worth of rain. It's called the early rain, the latter rain. It starts in autumn and it finishes in spring. Okay. Now, for six months, there's no rain. So what that farmer does is he goes and he, he plows the field, he sows the seed, and he waits for the autumn rains to come, and he waits for the spring rains to come to bring in the harvest. Autumn rains to bring it up, and the spring rains to bring in the harvest. And he's got to be patient, and he's got to wait for that rain to come, the early rain and the latter rain. Now, obviously, this is talking about the first to say, come to Jesus, but I'm not going to get into that too much today, right? But that's the way it is. Two seasons, the rainy season and the dry season. So that farmer goes out, he plows his field, he sows his seed, and what does he do? He waits for the rain to come. He's trusting God for the production. He's trusting God for a harvest. He has to. But he's got to be patient. Doesn't happen overnight. See, that's where a lot of people miss it in their walk with God. They want it to happen overnight. 
Hallelujah. So you got to be patient, long-suffering, long-tempered. Hallelujah. Amen. God can change things. God can bring a harvest to your life. Right? So if you're suffering today, believe. Trust God. It won't be like that forever. It won't be like that forever. God can step in and completely change what's going on in your life. Right? When you're suffering, verse 8, be ye also what? Patient. There it is again. So this is the third time we've seen this word, right? These few verses. Be ye also patient. And then what? Establish your hearts. Say patience will allow you to establish your heart. That word means to make stable. So if you're a patient person and you're waiting on God and you're trusting God, you're going to have stability in your life. Okay? Amen? Be also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Now in the light of that, verse 9, he says, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Now he's still talking to them in a gentle tone. He's still talking to them as a pastor. He's, he's warning us of the judgments that are coming. Okay? But he's also calling us brethren. Alright? Now what? Now notice what he says. Grudge not once one against another. In the body of Christ, you know, if we're not patient people, if we're not patient with God, if we're not patient with each other, right? Then what are we going to do? We're going to there'll be grudges. And what James is saying is this: Don't disrupt the body of Christ. Are you with me? Don't cause trouble in the church. Most of the time, trouble that, that's created in the church or disruption that takes place in the church, disunity that takes place in the church is because somebody's lost patience somewhere. So James is saying now, you need to know something. The Lord's coming back and He's not only coming back soon, He's standing at the door of that church and He's a judge. And He sees, what's, he sees what goes on in the church. If you're grudging towards each other, if you are disrupting the body of Christ and always creating trouble all the time, James is saying, don't you know that God is standing at the door and He's going to judge that? You can't be grudging all the time, disrupting the body of Christ, causing trouble all the time. The word grudge literally means to murmur and complain. Okay, When I lose patience, what do I start doing? How, I ask what I do. You told me I complain. How do you know I complain? I said, well, what do I do when, when I... Yeah, okay. You said you complain. How do you know I complain? I know what you mean. Y'all are saying for you, right? But that's what happens. If we're not long-suffering, things come to our lives. So we start murmuring and complaining and griping. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that's equal to idolatry. Amen. So we've got to have patience because if we don't, we'll cause all kinds of trouble in the body of Christ. Grudging, murmuring, griping all the time. God says, James says, that God is standing at the door. 
Don't you know that when you do that, that you're, bringing, you're going to bring the chastisement of God Almighty on your life? You can't be always short-tempered. You can't be always blowing up, amen, destroying everything, creating problems all the time. God, don't you, James said, don't you know that Jesus is standing at the door of your life to judge that? But we've got to be patience. Patient. Grudge not one another against one another. Stop murmuring and griping and complaining. Be long-suffering in relationship to each other. When I say patience, that he's using the word used here, patience, long-suffering, long-tempered, what's it related to? The word is related to people. So the word he's talking about here, being patient and long-suffering, long-tempered, has to do with people in the body of Christ. You it, Listen, you can get mad at God. You can get frustrated with God. You can murmur and complain against God if you're not patient. You can murmur and complain against each other if you're not Patient. We need patience. Long-tempered, long-suffering means how I relate to you when you get on my nerves. Amen? How y'all relate to each other. Are y'all here? God calls us to be patient. Man, there's so much damage can be done. If we lose our temper, you know, and we're not patient with each other in the body of Christ or our families, a lot of damage can come out of that. We've got to be willing to be patient and trust God and wait on God to change. Most of the time, change us. Change us. See, we're praying, Lord, change my brother. Lord, change my wife. Lord, change my husband. Lord, change that brother. Change that sister. Change the church, Lord. Change the pastor. And God said, I'm not going to change them. I'm going to change you. I'm working on you. Amen? God can allow and send things into your life. Amen? To work on us. To change us. So we'll get patient with each other. But we always go that way. It's God's fault. Or it's somebody's fault in the church. Or it's the church's fault. Or it's the pastor's fault. we got to find somebody to blame. It's not being patient. God said, don't grudge one to another. Hallelujah. Don't grudge one against another, brethren. Lest you be what? Condemned. James says, God's going to judge you. He'll judge me if I don't. Have patience in my life. Hallelujah. Long-suffering, long-tempered. Hallelujah. Amen. Not quick to anger. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. He's right there. Amen. In verse 10, he gives us some examples again, illustration. Uh, James says, Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and patience. When you're going through tests and trials in your life for your faith as a Christian, 
And it, you know, it wants to create frustration and anger in your life and you don't have patience with anybody or with God or yourself. James says, look at the prophets. Think about those prophets. What they went through. To be a prophet of God meant that you could lose your life. Do you understand that? The prophets of God understood that and understand that. That if you are serving God and you are a prophet of the Lord, you could lose your life doing that. If you didn't lose your life, you would suffer a lot being a prophet of the Lord. You suffer a lot. And James said, now, you take those prophets as an example of what? Of suffering and affliction and patience. Same word. He said, to be a prophet of God, he said, you have to be patient. When the afflictions come and the suffering comes and the difficult times come in serving God, you have to be patient in those times of suffering. What's he saying? The prophets had to be patient and long-suffering in order to continue to be faithful to the Lord. It can mean their life. And if, if, if they didn't die for being a prophet, if the people didn't kill them, if they weren't faithful to God, God killed them. You know? So either way you look at it, you're dead. <laughs> right? If you serve God, people kill you. If you serve people and are not faithful to God, God kills you. You see the way? Well, that's the way I look at it, man. You're going to end up dead one way or the other. And when there's suffering and there's affliction that come as a result of being called by God to be a prophet, James talking about, how many of you know to be a prophet, you've got to be patient? Amen? The suffering and the affliction that comes to that prophet. Think about those Old Testament prophets. Everything they went through. Think about the New Testament apostles. What they went through to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If they did not have patience, they would not continue to be faithful to the ministry. The only way that you could ever, if you feel a call in your life, and really, he's talking about an example of the prophets to the brethren. He's not saying, I'm going to give an example to the prophet by using the prophets as an example. He said, I'm going to use the prophets to be an example to the church. Those prophets had, in order to continue to be faithful to God, faithful to the ministry, those prophets had to be patient. And they were. And that's what kept them faithful to God. You think about what Jeremiah went through. Lowered him down in the miry pit of clay. Right? Rejected his ministry. Rejected his preaching. Just look at the prophets. They killed Zechariah. Killed him. Martyred him. You know? Isaiah, the prophet. History says they took Isaiah and they put him between two pieces of, of wood Two logs. And they cut Isaiah in the days of Manasseh. They cut him in half. Look at Ezekiel. They stung him like stinging scorpions. That's what he had to deal with. So there's no way 
that the prophets of God, those that are called into the ministry, would continue to be faithful to God and serve God in that capacity if they did not have what? Patience. Long suffering. They could suffer. They Are y'all here today? Suffer, 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 suffer. Yet keep on going. Keep ministering because they had patience. Able to continue through that difficult time. So he says, brethren, he said, look at the prophets. If you start feeling discouraged and you, you know, get upset and frustrated with God and the church and you feel like quitting, you know, he says, look at the prophets. And when you do, they'll encourage you. I think I could tell you today, if you start feeling sorry for yourself and woe is me, poor me, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not negating or neglecting anybody here today that's suffering from a catastrophe that's happened in your life. But what I'm saying is if, you know, sometimes we go through things that's really not that big a deal. But we have this poor me attitude. And we, have, we feel sorry for ourselves. And if you ever start going down that road, I'll tell you what you do. Go get Fox's Book of Martyrs. And read Fox's Book of Martyrs. And read the stories of Christians how they were martyred for their faith. And I promise you, when you read the, that Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's going to do what? It's going to encourage you. It's, going to not, it's not going to make you depressed. and It's going to encourage you. Wow, God. If they would continue to live for you and serve you, then they're being put to death. Some of them in horrible, horrible, gruesome ways. Fed to lions. Fed to animals. No. They'll encourage you to be faithful to God. And you'll look at your life and you'll say, I haven't been through anything compared to them. So that's what James is doing right here. He's taking those prophets that suffer tremendously in the call of God in their life and said, look at them, look at those men. They were patient. They were long-suffering. That's what will keep you serving God, brothers and sisters. That's what will keep a man of God in the ministry is to understand that when you are in the ministry, when you do serve God, get ready. Some hard times are going to come. Suffering is going to come. Persecution is going to come. Affliction is going to come. But if I'm patient, that means I'm long-suffering. I will continue to serve the Lord. Uh, in hard times. Man, it's easy to serve God when everything seems to be going your way. It's easy to serve God when you you know you got thousands of people showing up to church all the time. You know what I mean? I thought about it this morning. You know, man, it's it's always been difficult to be in the ministry, but now you know when in our season as a church we walk in here we've lost about half the people. Okay, if that's my fault, then fine, whatever. I'm not going to point any fingers. I'm just saying what I'm saying to you is that we've lost half the people of our church, basically. You go and look at the number that we have today, and you look at what we had in the past. Lost half of the church. Now, any preacher can keep preaching in good times. But what are you going to do when you lose half the church? What are you going to do when the people that are left aren't doing so good? And I mean, you love God, you live for the Lord, but I'm saying it's still a struggle, right? Still a struggle, because you're hurting from that too. But I'm just telling you, man, Sometimes in your life, things are not going to go the way that you would like in serving God. You may not have the church that's full of people. 
You, you, may, you may serve years and years and years and not even have any one convert. There's some people go to the mission field, they don't have one convert. You're there for 40 years not have one convert. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but if I felt called into the ministry and I preached 40 years and I didn't have one convert, I'd probably quit. I'd probably give up. I'll just be honest with you. I'd look at it, because I know the way I think, and I'd look at it and I'd say, man, I must not be called in the ministry. But I don't have one convert. You know, I'm serious with you. Well, what keeps somebody like that going in the mission field and keeps serving God? Patience. Amen. Praise the Lord. Brother uh, Edmonds was talking about the days of Noah. Only eight people were saved in the days of Noah. You know, Brother Edmonds, if you, read, if you listen to that teaching on the characters, Chinese characters that are uploaded on YouTube right now, BCF Odessa, for those who are looking for it, he talks about eight souls. He said, if I looked at it and all I had was my family in the church, you know, he said, I'd probably quit. So it gets hard sometimes. Hallelujah. But if you're going to be faithful to God, you're going to have to have patience. Because affliction is coming. Suffering is coming. Difficult days are coming. But what to keep you going and keep you in this is what? I'm patient. I'm trusting God. I'm looking to God. I'm praying. I'm believing God. God can change it. I don't know what the future holds. You don't know what the future holds. You have to leave the future in the hands of God. And it takes patience to leave the future in the hands of God. We, we need patience, don't we? So those prophets are an example. And I thank God for the men of God. I, I have a good friend right now that started to work. He's a pastor. He started to work in another city. And, uh, you know, they had some pretty good numbers. And what he had poof, took off and went to other churches. And now he doesn't have much. He doesn't have much left. And I, I tell you what, I admire that man. Are y'all with me? I'm, 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 I'm talking about just a few people. I admire that man. Because that man keeps on serving God. He keeps pastoring in that area. He could quit, give up, get discouraged, get depressed, throw in the towel say, well, I'm done. But he does it. He's like a farmer. He keeps sowing seed. He's trusting God to send the rain. Hallelujah. I told him the other day, I said, I'm praying for you right now. You know? I said, I'm praying for God and I'm just going to give you the city. I said, I'm praying, brother, that God sends Baytown, Texas, a revival like they've never seen ever in the history of Baytown. Hallelujah. You know? Brother Wilhoy told me, I'll just tell you, I feel less released to do this. Brother Wilhoy told me the other day, he texted me. He said, Brother Carter, he said, it's hard to pastor right now. It's hard to pastor right now. Amen. And I texted him back and I said, Brother Will Hoyt, I said, it's hard to pastor people if you have a standard. That's what I told him. I said, because you have a standard 
of holiness. You throw your holiness aside, you throw all of that away. Are y'all with me? Oh, people, you'll have a crowd. But because you're a man of God and you've got a standard, it's what I told you, you have a standard. And I told him, I texted him back, I said, we're building an oak tree, not a mulberry tree. Well, I should have said growing, but I'm thinking building. And the oak tree takes a long time, but it's strong. Now, how many of you folks have the kind of patience that maybe Brother Wilhoyd has? Faithfully serving God. I'm not looking at a bunch of numbers, but God, he believes God called him there. God called him to start a church there, and he's staying with it. Hallelujah. Now, brothers, I want to tell you something. I don't, I admire all ministers that preach the truth. But I admire the minister that preaches the truth that's preaching to a handful of people more than I admire the preacher that's got the big church. Because it takes a lot, man. It takes something in your gut. There's a gut check, brother. I'm talking about endurance, man. Patience, long-suffering, gut check to keep on doing that, keep on doing that, keep on doing that, and you don't see much fruit. How many could you? How many you could do that? How many of us could go through what those prophets went through? And still keep preaching. Still stay faithful to God. After everything, some things that they lost, man. Some of them lost their lives. Question for you today. If you lose things in your life, you've lost something in your life. And you're tempted to quit. You have what these prophets had. And that is patience. I'm going to keep serving God. I'm going to be faithful to, to God. I don't know what the future holds, but I'm going to give it to God. And, and forgive me, but we got a lot of crybabies in the church. Man, they go over there and they, they witness to one person. Well, they didn't come in. And they quit. You don't have what it takes. You can have it what it takes. You can have what it takes, but you don't have what it takes if you you uh, witness to one person and they don't come to the church, so you're done. No, you got to be like the farmer. you got to keep plowing the field, keep tilling the field, keep sowing the seed, keep sowing the seed, trust God for the rain, hallelujah. You know, you may see one family come in. We want the whole, all everybody to come, I know. But they're going to have to come in one family at a time or one person at a time. You have to be patient. Look at your neighbor and say, I want patience. See, to win souls, win souls. If you're going to be a soul winner, brothers and sisters, anybody that's a soul winner is patient. You can't be a soul winner if you're not patient. Because you want the harvest overnight. You may teach a hundred Bible studies before you get one family. Amen. 
Well, I taught my 20 and I didn't see anybody come in, so I'm done. No. <laughs> you have to be like a farmer. You, you plow the field. You sow the seed. You pray, pray to God for rain. One plants. Amen. One waters. God gives the increase. Our church, right now, especially right now, you have to be patient. When we started the church in my house 25 years ago, I, I looked at my wife. Amen. My wife was there. Sister Sonia was there. Brother Mark, he's rebelling. But we won him. We got him. We were patient. We waited. We... But it was my wife. It was uh, Sister Sonia and the Hefties, you know. That's it. That's where we started. Started in my house. And we've just had to trust God. Amen. And you're going to have to trust God. Hallelujah. Then Brother Mark started to come to church when we got over to Brazos, and I looked at him for two years, and he never made a move. I'm not kidding. He never moved an inch. He never, I don't even think he blinked his eye the whole time he came. Wave your hand, Brother Mark. He's one of our deacons now. Okay, see him back there? Man, I had to be patient. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful I'm a patient man, Brother Mark? Amen. Brother Mark says, yeah, you're not so patient. But anyway. I basically preached for two years to that man. And then one day he walks up and says, I want to get baptized in Jesus' name. I said, I about had a, I just couldn't believe it. I just <laughs> it shocked me, completely shocked me, you know. But he did. Got baptized yesterday, got the Holy Ghost, and has never looked back. Amen. About twenty five years ago. And there he is. Thank you, Jesus. But you gotta be patient. Hallelujah. But if somebody you go teach them a Bible study, and I know some of y'all are so powerful and so anointed, hallelujah. That you want them to be slain in the spirit when you teach them. <laughs> but, you know, hallelujah. What happens if that don't happen? <laughs> you know, you have to keep going back. Keep sowing that seed. Keep telling them about the Lord. Amen. And, and, and you're going to pay a price sometimes serving God. Amen. How many of y'all want patience like the prophets? Hallelujah. Behold, we count them happy which what? Endure. You have heard of the patience of Job. Now this is interesting because when it gets here to this word patience, even though in the English it's the same word patience as the other ones that we've already talked about, it's a completely, totally different word. The word here means to endure or to persevere. The first one we talked about, patience, long-tempered, long-suffering, amen, in, in related to people. But when you talk about endurance, that means you are able to bear up underneath. You stay under God's authority. 
Amen. I'm enduring. I'm enduring. I'm staying underneath God, under the Lord's authority in my life. I'm not quitting. I'm not abandoning God. See the difference here? Long-suffering in the time of your trial and affliction, but now we have endurance, perseverance. So we have a different word here. But it's translated by the King James Version, patience. It means endurance. Now I think this is interesting because when we study the book of Job, you will see at times Job was not patient. But Job persevered. The first couple of chapters of the book of Job, Job is patient with God. He's patient with what he's going through. He's long-suffering. First couple of chapters. But you get in the middle of the book of Job. Man, he's lost his patience with God. He's lost his patience with his miserable comforters. Hallelujah. They're going to sleep on him just like, hallelujah, just like you are. Praise the Lord. James completely changes the words. And, and so by inspiration, James knew that there were times when Job was not long-suffering. But Job persevered. He stayed under God. He never quit. God. He said, though He slay me, yet shall I trust Him. But you know, there were times in, in Job's life, man, he was not patient. He was upset. He was frustrated. Hallelujah. Well, think about it. He lost all of his wealth. He lost his children in death. He lost his health physically. He's sitting in sackcloth and ashes. And all he's basically got left his family is his old nagging wife. It's a nagging wife. And that white woman, you just, you know, Job, just curse God and die. And Job said, no, I'm going to persevere. I might not have patience. I'm not long-suffering right now, but I do have perseverance. And he looked at his wife, and he said to his wife, he said, you, you talk like an unbelieving woman. Why are you talking like that? Talking like an unbelieving woman. Curse God and die. No, though he slay me, yet shall I trust him. You see what I'm saying? So he uses the term, we should be patient, long-suffering, long-tempered in relationship to people. But when it comes to Job, he wasn't that. But he never quit. He persevered. Hallelujah. And that's, I think that's a beautiful message. And, and I'm not going to tell you today that you're always going to be perfect patient. You're not always going to be a perfect patient. Amen. Sometimes you're going to lose your temper. You're going to get frustrated maybe with God. Why did you let this happen, God? You know, and maybe you get upset with God. And then for sure, you know, you get upset with the past, upset with the pastor. Praise the Lord. That's okay. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. (laughs) 
And he said, y'all get mad at me. I don't even know you're mad at me. And then later on, I got mad at you because you didn't want us to do this. And I said, oh, well, I didn't know I, I didn't, I didn't know I got, I didn't know you were mad at me. But you know. And what's funny is, is they tell me, I got mad at you because you didn't want us to do this. And then later on, they said, but I don't want to do it either. And so, well, then why did you get mad at me when I said, yeah, I didn't even tell you not to do it. But you got mad at me because you didn't like my response. Then you found out that you didn't want it to be done either. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes y'all are not good patients. But you persevere. You keep on going. You ever been mad at anybody in the church? No? How about you, Red Hot? Yeah, have you ever been mad at anybody in the church? Really? I can't believe you. I can't believe he would confess that. No, I'm not talking about righteously. It's okay. But you did, somebody did you wrong or did your family wrong or your kids wrong. Bless you, brother. How about you, brother? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, me too. Hallelujah. Me too. Hallelujah. <laughs> me too. Me too. But I'm still here. You too, right? You ever got upset? Just, just ah! <laughs> me too but I'm still here man persevering pushing through keep on going don't quit you can't quit I told my wife the other day I said we're just here baby we're just here we're not going anywhere we know God called us here no matter what we got to go through we're here Said we made it through what we've already made it through. I don't know what the future holds, but we're here. Amen. And there's going to be times I'm probably not going to be patient like I should be, but I'm enduring. I haven't quit. Praise the Lord. I look at you. You didn't quit. Not yet. Somebody hadn't made you mad enough yet. Right? You haven't lost your patience to the point you've lost your perseverance yet. Thank God. Hallelujah. Amen. And I, but I think, I, you know, I've got y'all pretty well figured out. You know, I think I think I got you figured out. See, y'all going to push my button and just push me and push me into the corner and just see how far you can push me. You just, I think some of y'all enjoy just wanting to bring me to the end of my patience. That was Israel. God, the Israelites just pushed God and pushed God and pushed God and pushed God, man, just to see how patient he was. God bless your heart. But I'm still here. Say praise the Lord. Just, just pray to God that that last push you push me is not the one that I lose my patience on. Hallelujah. You know, because you might not want to see me that way. Okay. Amen. But I'm still here. Praise the Lord. And I'm not going to try to push you, push you, push you either to the breaking point. But sometimes you just have to keep on going no matter what. How many of y'all going to keep on going no matter what? Yeah. Now, see, God's watching you. He's watching you, man. He's watching you. 
Praise the Lord. But you know what? I believe you. I believe you. God believes you. When God looks at you, you lift your hands and say, I'm going, hallelujah. I'm endured. I may sometimes lose my patience like Job did, but I'm not going to lose my perseverance. I'm going to be like Job. I'm going to finish, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I, I believe you. God believes you. When God saved you, He believed in you. You say, but I believed in Him. Yes, but He believed in you too. When He filled you with the Holy Ghost, He gave you the Holy Ghost. When He washed away your sins, when He did that, He looked at you and said, they're going to finish this race. He believed in you, hallelujah, that you would finish this race. So He invested Himself into that. Hallelujah. Amen. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job. Endurance, different word. And have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. You read the end of the book of Job. You read Job chapter 42. You see the end of the Lord at the end of the book. And you know what God does? Job didn't, know, didn't understand why he was going through what he was going through. But so you'll understand it. I'll put it in terms so we can understand it. God came to Job and said, I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you. You didn't quit. I'm proud of you. Hallelujah. I'm proud of you, Job. Just pray. Pray for your friends. That's what he said. Pray for your friends. And what did God do? He doubled everything. Everything that Job lost, he doubled. Include, I say including his children. Because he had his children that died in heaven and he got a whole new batch down on the earth. He had, with me, praise the Lord. The end of God. God comes and shows Job mercy and grace. Proud of you, Job. Pray for your friends, Job. And I'm going to restore double everything you lost. Hallelujah. Because you what? Because you didn't quit. You kept on going. You have to consider the end of the story. You have to consider the end of the Lord in your life. Don't make a decision when you're going through a hard time. You keep on serving God. Be faithful to the end. And you'll see God come. The end of the Lord. He's going to come. And brothers and sisters, He's going to look at your life and He's going to say, I'm proud of you. You did well. Pray. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And some of you are going to be completely shocked when God tells you that because you're going to look at it and go, really me? You're proud of me? Yes, because I know what you went through, but you didn't quit. I know what you had to endure, but you didn't quit. You kept on going. You persevered. Hallelujah. Really, God? I thought you was mad at me. I thought that's why all of this was coming on me, because you were mad at me, God. I said, no, I was bragging on you. I was bragging on you. And everything you went through was because I was bragging on you. 
You lost your patience in the process, but you never lost your perseverance. And if you've never gone through anything and you've been in the church, you know, I remember those days when I first got in the church. And my pastor, he used me an example one day. He said, Brother Carter, he don't ever go through anything. He did. Pastor Dan Smelser looked at the whole church and said, he never goes through anything. He's always, always happy. It's always good with him. Well, I could talk to him now and tell him. I could tell him I went through some things. Hallelujah. Amen. When he said that, I when he said that, I just kind of because I know that I had gone through something, but I just never let people know it. Amen. If you're that kind of person, you might lose your patience. God's calling you to be patient. He's calling me to be patient. Long suffering, long temper. But I want to tell you something. There's going to be some situations that come in your life where realistically speaking, and James is a realist, and I'm a realist, realistically speaking, you're going to be at the end of your patience. But don't be at the end of your perseverance. And then God at the end is going to come to you and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Say praise the Lord. Really, God, me? Yes, you. But God, I'm... I, Lord, remember when I... He goes, I'm proud of you. Because you didn't quit. Everybody with me today? No. Okay, so I'm really preaching this to people who have been through something or going through something right now. You know? You're the kind of person, you don't have a clue about what I'm talking about. Then... God bless you. All I can say is God bless you. I hope it continues to be flowers for you everywhere. Really, I do. Say amen. But when you go through some stuff, you experience some loss in your family. You experience some loss in the church. You experience some loss in your life. But yet you just keep on going. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Sister G, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Sister, she's been through some things. But look at her. She's got perseverance. Amen. Ryan sitting beside her. Hallelujah. Amen. What's your other boy's name? Nathaniel. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's a good pastor for you. I got to see their face. You know what? <laughs> Hallelujah. No. I told, but I've told her many times. I've told her many times. You're going to have to be patient, G. You know. And there she is. There she is. She's here. Praise God. Are y'all with me? Single mom. Raise your kids in the church. Single mom. Raise the kids in the church. How many years have you been in the church? 17 years. Been church. 17 years. She was born in this house. 17 years. How old is Nathaniel? 16. He wasn't even born yet. How old is Ryan? 19. Only just, what, a year or two old? 
raise their children in the church. By herself as a single mother. Amen. You know, I told her the other day, I said, man, you start thinking like, well, this is a small church. I'm going to go to a big church so I find me a man. Because there's probably a man in a big church. But she didn't fall for that lie. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And I told her to be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Thank you, Jesus. You've got to be patient. You get out of the will of God. But I thank God for you, G. Really, you're an example. Hallelujah. Not perfect, but an example. Someday, God's going to reward that. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. How many of y'all have had to endure some things? Yeah, some real, some real, real stuff. Real stuff. Amen. Now, I know you have, but how many of y'all have had to endure some stuff that you didn't create? You didn't create it. It came to you. See, it's one thing when you make your own mess. And so now I made my mess, now I got to endure this, you know. But yeah, well, you made it. Well, it's another thing totally different when you didn't make the mess. You didn't create the problem. Somebody else did. And it's affecting you. You keep on going. Say hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I thank God. Amen. Some things that happened to Jesus. She didn't create that. It came to her. But you know what? She buckled down. I'm in the house of God. I'm going to finish this race. Amen. Sister Veronica, I love you. Appreciate you. Just keep on keeping on. Hallelujah. That's right. Amen. I appreciate all of you. Thank God for you. There are times you just feel like you're at the end of the rope, huh? But you just keep on going. Hallelujah. I thank God for you. Man, man, we've got to have to have that. Be like Joe. Consider the end of the Lord. Remember the end of the Lord, His mercy. He's very merciful. He's very patient, very pitiful. He cares about you. He will look at what the Bible says. He's pitiful. That the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. We serve a great God. We serve a good God. Hallelujah. He, he grades on the curve. He grades on the curve. The only way he can grade on the curve is because of his blood. He can look at you and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You can turn around and look at you think you're talking to Bishop. <laughs> is it me? Me, Lord? Yeah, you, you. How? I grade on the curve because of my blood, my mercy, my grace. Amen. You think about David, he did a horrible sin he committed against God, right? But he repented thoroughly. It's recorded with, are you with me? It's recorded in, in Samuel, the sin. But when you get into Chronicles, it's not recorded. The same life of David that records the sin in Samuel doesn't record the sin in Chronicles. Why? Because Samuel records it history from man's view. Chronicles records the history from God's viewpoint. 
And when David put the sin under the blood, God said, I don't see it. And it's not even recorded. Because of the blood. I think some of you are going to be surprised, pleasantly surprised. There's going to be some people that are not going to be pleasantly surprised. They're going to be horrified when they stand before God. But there's going to be some people I'm preaching to right now, you're going to be pleasantly surprised. And God says, enter into the joy of thy Lord, thou good and faithful servant. Say praise God. That's why you can't quit. You have to keep on going. Keep on going. Keep enduring. Like Be like Job. Amen. The Lord's coming. He's coming, brothers and sisters. Verse 12, But above all things, my brethren, swear not neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, your nay be nay, let, lest you fall into condemnation. He's talking about oaths. He said, above all, everything I've said to you, this is the most important thing. He said, do not swear by the name of the Lord. Now, very quickly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here what it doesn't mean that when you when you go to a courtroom and they say, uh, "Do you do you do this?" So help you God, you say yes. That's an oath. He's not talking about that. It's okay for you to take those kinds of oaths. What he's saying is this: is that when you're trying to get somebody to believe what you're saying, so that you have uh, what comes across is a double level of honesty or truth there's a two levels to your speech what i mean by that is you say okay um what i told you is the truth i swear to god i told you the truth as god is my witness and sometimes you you, you tell the truth to somebody and you don't say I swear to God, it's the truth. You don't say, as God is my witness, do you? But sometimes you feel the need, for whatever reason, to put your speech on a higher level and say, God is my witness. You're saying, I'm calling God to testify right now that what I'm saying is the truth. He's not saying you can't take an oath. What he's saying is, don't put your speech on two different levels. To where one, you say, I need God to testify what I'm saying is the truth. No, he said, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Don't put speech on two different levels. Amen. Don't feel the need to do that. If you're a truthful person, yes is good enough. If you're a truthful person, no is good enough. Don't try to elevate what you're saying by putting God on it. To testify to your speech. So he's not talking about not taking oath. Particularly God took oaths. He took oath. You with me? But if I'm trying to emphasize, you know, my honesty, uh, I call God to be a testifier of what I'm saying is the truth. Why do you need to do that? You say, well, I'm telling the truth. Yes, no. Okay. You get that? All right. Verse 13, then he moves into prayer. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Now, no doubt this will take care of your patience, right? This will help you with your patience. It will help you with your endurance. You say, I'm going to go to God in prayer. 
I'm going to pray about this because I'm suffering right now. I'm afflicted right now. So he says, if you are, then you pray. Correct? What's the answer if you're afflicted this morning? Prayer. What's the answer if you're going through something right now? Prayer is the answer. If you're merry, what does he say to do? Sing psalms. Amen. Verse 14. Is any sick among you? Sick means weak. What do you say to do? Is any among you? Is any sick among you? Weak. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Right? Okay, so here's what this is. This is olive oil. Is any sick among you? Is any weak? Now, I have to, so I'll understand, you'll understand what this is all about, okay? And I think you do, but just to explain it to you. When you come to the front and you're asking for special prayer, is any sick among you? It can be for your body. It can be for a spiritual condition. It can be for weakness in your conscience. Any area, it, if it's, it could be depression. It's not just for getting healed physically in your physical body. When he talks about is any sick among you, he talks about any area of your life. You're in a spiritual battle. And you need God's special attention to help you with a spiritual battle. You're, you're battling something in your mind. Depression in your soul. Discouragement. It's just something. And you prayed about it. And you just can't shake it. You can't get the victory. No matter what you try to do. The Bible says there's an answer for you. So we're not to think that this is just for physical healing. Sometimes you're not physically sick. Sometimes you're mentally sick. And I'm not, that's, that's a reality. So if you have mental weakness or sickness, come. Physical, conscience, spiritual conditions, whatever it is, if there's a devil oppressing you, a demonic spirit attacking you, come and let us pray for you. Now what is the oil for? Is it a sacrament? What I mean by that is when you come here and we put oil on, on you, amen, are we imparting by the oil some special saving grace in your life? The answer is no. This is not a sacrament of saving grace. There's nothing in the oil. It's olive oil. There's nothing special about the oil. It doesn't impart. In the oil itself, doesn't impart any kind of saving grace. And we're not doing it for medicinal purposes like a doctor would do. If this is about medicine, we tell you to go to a medical doctor where you can get medicine. Amen. If it's mental and you need medicine for your mental, we send you to psychiatrists because the psychiatrist deals with the, the uh, medical, the medicine aspect of your soul, your mind. 
So we're not anointing you with this oil to impart some special grace of salvation to you. We're not imparting, putting this on you for med like a medicine. Oil was used as a medicine in those days. Then why are we using the oil? Why did James say to pray and anoint with oil? When you study the language the way it's written here, the focus is on the prayer, not the oil. The oil is underneath the prayer in importance. So if, if it's not a sacrament imparting special salvation to you, if it is not medicine that we put on you, like pouring oil into the wounds, then what is it for? What you're doing is you're saying prayer is what's important. It's symbolic of the anointing. When you put oil on somebody, the Bible talked about in the Old Testament that they would anoint the heads of prophets, priests and kings. Why did they do that? They were consecrated. They were being set apart. So when you come for prayer, what we do when we pray for you, the prayer is where the power is. The name of Jesus is where the power is. But the oil, when we put it on your head, we're consecrating you. We're setting you apart for a special blessing from the hands of God. It's a consecrating oil. It's a separating oil. That's all it is. There's nothing in this oil. The power is in the name of Jesus. And the presence of God is in the name of Jesus. So when I pray in the name of Jesus over you, the presence of God is in the name of Jesus. It's not in the oil. The oil is saying, God, we're setting this person apart, separating them right now for your special blessing and special attention in their life. Amen? And when we pray, we believe it. And when you come, don't come for a feeling. Come for your healing. God may allow you to feel His presence, but there's a lot of times you won't feel one thing. But you've been set apart for special attention from God to bring blessing in your life. That's why we anoint with oil. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now what's going to happen? And the prayer of what? Faith shall save the sick. There's no difference with me, him, him, other than the fact that there's, there's elders, leadership in the church, the Bible says, and it is the elders, the episcopus, the elders, the presbyters, the elders that are set in that house. And they are the ones that do the anointing for prayer. That don't mean you can't pray with oil. But we were talking about a communal event. We're talking about when the covenant community comes to church together. This is done by the leaders or the elders of the church. Amen? In the early church, the, as you see James here referring to the elders, the leadership of the church, it was plural. In the second century, it became one man was the leader of the church. One man, pastor, in some cases called priest. 
in the second sense, you had one man. Now, the way I understand the Scripture is you have a set man who is the pastor. He's the head. He's the one that's the leader of the body. Then you have elders that are around him that help him with the vision of the church. Then you have deacons that help with the service of the church. Say praise the Lord. But what happens is designated elders are the ones that pray over the sick in a public setting, a communal setting, a covenant community, a church meeting. Everybody get that? And when that prayer is prayed, if it is prayed in faith and received by faith, here's what the Bible said will happen. The prayer of faith shall what? Save the sick. It doesn't mean that you get salvation for your soul. It means delivered. So we put, we put oil on you, we pray. The focus is on the prayer. The name of Jesus, not the oil. But the oil sets you apart unto God. And when we pray by faith and we believe in the name of the Lord, when we pray, God is coming. And the Bible said, you shall be what? Healed. Delivered. The word saved is used. Now you go through the New Testament, you'll see oftentimes when Jesus did a miracle of healing of the body or whatever, the Bible said they were saved. The word is more than just salvation eternally. It has to do with healing in the body. And it's supernatural. We've, been, we've had people testify, people have been healed of cancer. We've had people healed of blood sugar issues. You name it, man. Now did the pastor do it? No. Did any of them do it? No. God did it. The power is in the name of Jesus. The power is in the name of Jesus and the presence of God. And we just set you apart with the oil. Hallelujah. Well, Pastor, I need you to pour a whole gallon on me. No, one will do. One little drop will do. Hallelujah. You know, amen. Praise the Lord. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. The prayer of what? Faith. We believe. God said it in His Word. We believe it when we do it. He's going to come and heal. Praise the Lord. And the Lord shall raise him up. Hallelujah. And if committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Because sometimes, sometimes, not always, but sometimes our sickness is a result of sin. Did you hear what I said? In the Bible, sometimes our sickness is the result of sin. So when we come and pray, you get prayed for. The Bible says God will forgive you your sin. He, he deals with you spiritually and physically, not just physically. See, our physical healing and our spiritual condition are always connected. So there's some sin in your life sometimes. And my life that needs to be forgiven that's hindering me from being healed. But He takes care of all of that by His blood. Say praise the Lord. Now there's some of you, you need, you need to believe this Word. Because you go through times of depression and all kinds of mental battles and mental all kinds of stuff you go through. Amen. Suffering, affliction, you're hurting really bad. Mentally, physically, and spiritually. And there's times when you need to come and let us pray for you. Hallelujah. And believe that God will deliver you. There may be spirits attacking you. 
in the name of Jesus, be delivered. Hallelujah. I'm almost done. Verse 16, confess your faith one to another. Our faults, excuse me. Confess your faults one to another. See, we have public communal prayer here. But now, this is something that's not practiced very often in most churches. That when we go to church, we confess our faults one to another. Where sin is publicly confessed. Doesn't happen in a lot of churches. Amen? <clears throat> See, do you know why? Because the leadership says that should be dealt with in private. There are certain situations that it is necessary for there to be a public confession of the sin. Why? That you may be healed. It is not so you can be humiliated. Now, and I'm, I'm going to use this so uh, not because I'm condemning what the person said, but, you know, I've had to deal with discipline, church discipline before. And they looked at it like I was fixing to stone somebody. And then, well, we don't want to be in there, Pastor, because to me it's like you're going to stone them. I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. That's your perspective. It is not so we can publicly humiliate the person or stone them to death. It is so that they can be healed, delivered from that sin that's in their life and they can go forward, hallelujah, in the name of Jesus. And so the devil can't keep beating the hell out of them. And I don't care if you like that word or not. That's the truth. Because the devil come keep keep beating the hell out of you with condemnation and guilt. Amen? Now, there are times when church discipline has to be administered. The person won't change their life. They must be dismissed from the body. But not without much, much effort, much effort in trying to bring them into restoration and giving them the ability to confess before the body of Christ that they might be healed. Amen? In all of these things, when we seek to restore somebody, when we seek to bring in a public confession of sin among all of us before the body of Christ or the dismissal of somebody from the body of Christ, you better not get on the wrong side of God on any of that. Because I'll tell you who God will stand with. It won't be you. It'll be this pastor. All day long, you better not mess with it. Amen? Because there, ha there will be so much effort that has been placed into that situation before it ever gets to dismissal. And only, only if we absolutely have to do it, I mean absolutely have to, will we ever dismiss anybody from the body of Christ. You understand? So it is for what? Redemption purposes. Amen? You talk about patience. You talk about the, pa the patience of a pastor in dealing with people. You don't have a clue about the amount of patience that is that is taken to try to help some of you. You don't have a clue. Oftentimes years of ministering, praying over the person, 
believing God to heal them mentally, physically, and spiritually. Years of advising, talking to them, counseling them. Hallelujah, say praise the Lord. Years of preaching the Word of God to them. If we ever get to a final point where we've got to dismiss somebody uh, because of church discipline, I'm telling you that's the last straw, man. That's it. It's never the first. Okay, you with me? So we, there should be the confession, public confession of, of sins uh, before the church. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you what? May be healed. That's the goal. Now you've got some people you can't do nothing with. But he's not talking about those people. Right? He goes on and says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Effectual, fervent prayer. Red hot prayer. Red hot prayer. Hallelujah. Effectual, fervent prayer availeth much. And he gives you an example. His name is Elijah. Man, don't keep on praying. Keep on praying. Because prayer is powerful. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. James is saying, Elijah was a human being just like you. His genetics was not different from your genetics. Elijah was not some kind of elite man. He was a, he was a normal human being. He was a person just like you and a person just like me. His genetics wasn't different. He wasn't elite. Then what made his prayer different then? And I know I'm boring you, but I'm going to keep preaching to you. What made his prayer different when he prayed versus when I prayed? It's not genetics. It's faith. When he prayed, he was a man of faith. Are y'all with me? You think about well, Elijah, he was a powerful prophet of God. No wonder God heard his prayer. James says, what are you talking about? He wasn't elite. He was subject to passions just like you are. He's a normal human man. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, he, just look at him and tell him he was a dude. And I don't mean the actual definition of the term. but We use that generically, right? Dude. He's just a dude, man. Just a dude just like you. Hallelujah. So I'm going to go look in the dictionary and find out what dude means. No, don't. <laughs> don't. I'm just saying dude, the generic term, man. Dude, just like you. Praise the Lord. Amen. So we put them up here on a pedestal like they are elite. They were powerful men, but they were men of faith. Are y'all with me? Say praise the Lord. Elijah was a man subject like passions that we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. It rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. He prayed. Can you imagine praying to God that it wouldn't rain, and God heard your prayer? That it didn't rain for three and a half years? And for all you Bible scholars, you theologians out there that want to compare Scripture with Scripture, in the Old Testament it says the drought was only for three years. But James says it was for three and a half years. And Jesus said it was for three and a half years. But there's no contradiction in the Bible. 
The Old Testament said three years. James and Jesus said three and a half years. What's the problem? No contradiction in the Bible. It was three and a half years. Because remember I told you about the, dry, the rainy and dry season? They had, they had already experienced six months of the dry season. And then there was three years by way of judgment. So it was three years by way of judgment, but you've got to add the other six months, which was already the dry season. That's why James, they are, God is so accurate. Three and a half years. Six, year, six months for the dry season and three years of judgment. So all you theologians out there that want to try to disprove the Bible, there's no contradiction in the Bible. But he prayed. He just, dude, dude just like you, prayed. It wouldn't rain. It didn't rain for three and a half years. Now, I don't think he just decided one day. He got up in the morning and said, I think I'll just pray so it won't rain for three and a half years. No. Are you with me? I mean, you know, you what would happen if a saint just, just got a wimp and just got up in the morning and said, I just think I'm going to pray. This is not going to rain for three years. Well, what if you've got a saint in the church that's praying for it to rain today? And you're praying it's not going to rain. Who's going to win? Amen? You know, I think it's kind of funny. You know, football teams get together, they want to win the game. So we got the, the chaplain praying over the team. Lord, let them win. And the chaplain's over there in the other place. He's praying, let this team win. Who's going to win? You don't pray like that. You say, just God, give them the strength to do the best they can. Hallelujah. You're going to pray for them to win when the other guy's praying for their team to win. Man, if God heard all the prayers specifically the way you pray, we'd have a mess here, right? Well, then what was going on here? Elijah knew the Word of God. And when he looked at the nation of Israel, he saw the nation of Israel was backslid in, in Baal worship. And God had already declared in His covenant Word that if Israel departed from God and worshipped idols, God would send a famine to the land. And when Elijah looked at that, he took the Word of God which was already declared. He said, this is the condition of the people. And he prayed for that to come to pass based on the covenant Word of God. And because of that, God heard that prayer. It didn't rain for three and a half years. And then what did He do at the end of three and a half years? The Bible says this. Now remember, He's just a dude. He prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. One prayer turned the heavens off. Another prayer turned them back on. And he's just a man. No, no genetics specialty about him. His faith in God's Word. You remember? He got down in his face, started praying. He sent his servant out and said, go look at it and see if there's anything in the sky. The servant came back. Don't see nothing, Elijah. Oh, yeah, I see. Ah, uh, yeah. I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, I hear the abundance of rain. Man, he girded his loins. He took off that old prophet, took off, started running. And here comes Ahab's chariot. Hallelujah. And that prophet outran that chariot. Praise the Lord God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All by the power of prayer. 
And God is saying that you need to pray and I need to pray. And when we pray, pray in faith. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Your prayer makes a difference. You'll pray. Just trust God. Believe God. You say, well, if Elijah was here. No, you're here. Well, I'm not elite like him. James says, we know. He wasn't elite either. He had faith though. He had When he prayed, he prayed in faith. He believed God. And it came to pass. Brethren, if you do... Verse 19, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which convert the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Isn't that beautiful? God is an amazing God. Some people who say that you cannot lose your way. Some people say you can't lose your salvation. Some people say once saved, always saved, unconditional, eternal security. It's not in the Bible. The Bible says if a what? Brethren, if any of you, that means me, it also means you. What? Do err from the truth. The literal is if you err from the way of the truth. It's not just talking about doctrinally. It's talking about living. He says, if you, if you err from the way of the truth, it is possible for you and I to err from the way of the truth. Now, what are we supposed to do, brothers and sisters, very quickly as a covenant community of believers? We start noticing this brother is not coming to church like he used to. This brother, this sister used to be in the house of God Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, Thursday night prayer, Friday youth service, serving God faithfully. Now they're starting to miss church. What's going on? We should have a concern in our hearts if we don't see our brother and our sister faithfully coming to the house of God if they normally would be and all of a sudden something's changed. We should have a concern. Where's my brother? Where's my sister? Or, brothers and sisters, if we see them sitting in the pew and we see them maybe going through the motions, but there's nothing going on inside. They have an outward form of worship, but nothing's going on inside. That should create a concern in you and in me for that brother. Why are they missing church? What's going on in the inside of them? They don't have a passion for the Lord like they used to. Something's missing in their life. They begin to err from the truth. What's he saying? They're beginning to slip in their walk with God. Their commitment to God is slipping they're not on fire like they used to be. They don't come to church like they used to come to church. Now they work all the time. Or they, they come up with excuses why they can't be there. God says, be concerned. It's slipping away. Something's interfering with their heart. 
Is it the riches of this world he talked about at the beginning? What is it that's causing them to become cold on the inside in their relationship with the Lord? And James is telling you as a brother and a sister in the Lord that we should have a concern for them. People used to beat me up, man. Beat me up. Simply because I asked the church, would you let me know if you can't make it to church? Let me know. Let me know. Oh, I had people, man, well, you know, he shouldn't be asking y'all for you to tell him where you are. As your pastor, it's not about controlling you. It's not, it's not about that. It's about a concern about where you are. And this is biblical, brothers and sisters. If somebody starts, starts missing church, somebody ought to care. Somebody ought to be concerned. Amen? And so the Bible said if, if somebody errs from the truth, it's not just about doctrinal. This is about the lifestyle. Living for Him. And one convert him. I thought, see, to me, only God can convert you. I can't convert you. You can't convert anybody else. To me, only God can do that. Only God can save you. I can. But God uses the term through James. He says, you and I participate in the conversion. You ever thought about that? That you and I get to participate with God in the salvation of a soul? Something that God Himself only can really do? Save somebody? You get to and I get to participate in soul winning? You get, I get to participate in the salvation of an individual? That's amazing that God would put that in your hands. And in mind. If you convert that person, you're being used by God to do so, participation. Let him know that he which converteth the what? The sinner from the error of his way. There it is again, the word way. Shall save a soul from what? Death. And he's specifically talking about the person who leaves the way of truth. So you leave the way of truth. He said what's going to happen is sin will begin to pile up in their life. He's saying the results will be death. So whenever we see somebody become weak in the faith, we start seeing them missing church. It is important not just for the pastor. It's important for you to reach out to them, to try to restore them, uh, to recover them because they're wondering. The word air from the truth means to wonder. He said they're wondering stars. They're like the comets, they're wondering stars. And he said we have a position with the Lord, a privilege to be involved in trying to help them be recovered and restored. Amen. And he says if we do that, if we accomplish that, He says, you'll be involved in converting the sinner from the error of the way. You will save the soul from death and shall hide a multitude of 
of sins. Somebody backslides or somebody is backsliding. And you, as a, as a, if you will, pastor, like a pastor's heart, with a pastor's heart, like a shepherd, will go to them and, and seek to restore them, to recover them in a spirit of meekness, humility. So I love you, missed you. I'm glad you're here to church today. I've been praying for you, missed you. I may pick up the phone and say, hey, just want to let you know, love, I'm not your pastor, but I just want to let you know I love you. We missed you. We're praying for you. I noticed you've been going through some things lately, you know. And we, I'm just concerned about you. Haven't seen you in church like I used to see you. Haven't seen you doing, you know, very well. Just want to let you know we're praying for you. I'm not trying to bar, uh, par, uh, you know, to step in anything. I, I'm not here to get any information. I'm not here to gossip. I don't want any of that. Just want to let you know I care. See? You're taking on the role of a pastor. You're saying, I care, I love you. And if they if they are converted, if they repent, you save that person from damnation. You save them from death. And not only that, but she'll hide a multitude of sins in that person's life. A multitude of sins. Amen? Psalm 32 says this. Verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. To have your sin covered, forgiven, how blessed that is. He says, if you restore a brother, an erring brother or sister, they repent. They return back to the way of truth. You're saving them from death. And you're, high, you're covering a multitude of sins. What's he talking about a multitude of sins? It's not talking about their past sins. It's talking about all the sins that they would be committing outside of God, outside of the church. If they're no longer living for the Lord, if they're no longer in the church, can you imagine the sin upon sin upon sin upon sin? It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and builds upon and builds upon and it gets worse and worse and worse. It's like a little ants covering the soul of that person. A multitude of sins. A crowd of sins. Like a huge crowd of people. He said that's what happens to a person's life when they leave God, when they leave the truth. It's like a multitude, a crowd of sins that just take over their souls. Takes over their very being. And when you win that soul to the Lord, those sins are covered. The word cover means to skin over. God says, I don't see it. I don't see the sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our sins from us. That means He can't find them. He forgets them. He puts them in the sea of His forgetfulness. He chooses not to remember. The God who knows all things chooses not to remember, not to see your sin because they're covered, skinned over by the blood of Jesus Christ. The power 
of the gospel to stop sin in its track, to stop the power of sin in its tracks, to stop the contagion of sin in its tracks. Sin is contagious. It infects anything and everybody it touches. And when you win a soul to God, you're, you're really delivering them from death and you're covering a multitude of sin. It will take over their body, their very being, their soul like a bunch of ants. And then it'll get on the, the person that they rub shoulders with. It just moves from one person to another. The power of this gospel, it shuts down the sin. It shuts down the power of sin. The effects of sin. The multiplicity of sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can do that. But you and I get to participate in the restoration of people. The soul winning of people. So as the Bible says, Jesus talked about it in Luke chapter 15. He talked about a sheep that went astray. And the Bible said the shepherd left the ninety and nine and he went after that one sheep that went astray. In the book of Exodus, the Bible tells us this. Listen to me carefully as I come to a close. I know I've been long today. But the Bible says in the book of Exodus, if you see your enemies, animals, go astray, you are to restore them back to your enemy. Even if their enemy, if you find his animal, you restore it back to him. And if God calls us to restore an animal to an, en to an enemy just because the animal belongs to Him, God is calling you, brothers and sisters, and He's calling me, brothers and sisters, to restore the erring brother back to the community of faith. Amen. We have a responsibility by God's law to restore brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that's what it's always about. It's about restoration. Sometimes church discipline has to take place. People won't change. We get that. But we're going to do everything we possibly can to restore and to redeem. Because I know, and you, you, you know, you might think I'm stupid, but I'm really not stupid. I do know that once a person, if they have to be disciplined and put out of the church, I know that sin is fixing to take over their life. And I know it's going to affect multiple peoples and even possible generations to come. I know that. So we only do that if they refuse to change. But we're going to do everything we can to restore them. And you have a part. Don't you blame me. Don't just point a finger at me. What did you do to try to restore that brother or that sister? What did you do? Did you pray for them? Or did you just stand back and condemn them? And I don't think you're like that. I'm not saying you did that. I'm just saying, I, don't, I really don't think you're like that. But God's telling us that we are actually participating in the salvation of people's souls and the covenant of the hiding of a multitude of sins. Would you stand? What a glorious gospel you and I have to be able to, to reach out to people who are lost 
dying without Christ. Those who are in the church but who are erring. Going away. We have a part. And not only do we have a part, but we have a requirement from the Lord to do what we can to restore them. In Luke 15, Jesus said, gave us the parable, leaving the 99 going for that one sheep that was lost. And when that one sheep was found, the shepherd put it on its shoulder and took it back, and there was a party. Jesus said that the kingdom of God, is, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who lost her coin. That coin was her wedding dowry. It was special to her. She lost that coin and she searched and searched and swept her house, got a candle, looked in every nook and cranny she possibly could, could to find that coin and she found it. And she had a party. Jesus talked about in that same Luke 15, He talked about the prodigal son. Two sons in the house. The prodigal son left. He came back home. Came back to the father. The father ran and greeted him and kissed him, fell on his neck and kissed him. So happy to see him. So glad he came back and would be restored. And they had a party. And God said, This is the way heaven responds when the sinner repents of their sin. Heaven has a party. Hallelujah. And you and I get to participate in the salvation of souls. So if you ever want to know what, it, what it's about, read James and he'll tell you. Father, we come before you right now and we thank you for your wonderful blessings in our life.